It's going to be in Luke chapter 22. We're coming to the end of Luke. I don't know what we're going to do after. You want me to re-preach it? <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. Maybe in like 10 years if God was gracious. But if you could have one last meal, what would you eat? The guy who runs the pizza shop would eat pizza. Or are you trying to say we should all come and buy pizza from you before we die? I see you. If you, if you could have one, let's say you're going to be dead tomorrow. This is it. One more dinner. What are you having? Surf and turf? Pizza? I've always found it odd, like a death row convict. They get to, I couldn't eat. Like, really? <laughs> what about if we could ask Jesus that question? Jesus, if you were going to die... And you had one last meal you could eat, what would you eat? I'd have pizza. <laughs> I can tell you for a fact our Lord would not eat pizza for his final meal. He wouldn't have surf and turf for his final meal. You know what he would have for his final meal? Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ever watch a movie? Remember the good old days before pause? Well, when I was growing up, if you were in the movie theater or watching a movie at home, you could not say to your parents, hit pause. Yeah, like nowadays, my kids are never going to know the joy of running to the restroom at a commercial break or in a sporting event. Like, you're running and they, they got pause. You know, like, we say, rewind it a little bit with our DVRs. You get blank stares from people. What does that mean, rewind? You remember the, the $1 charge of Blockbuster for that cassette you brought back? What am I talking about? What is what I'm talking about? Back in the day, if you, or you guess you can do it in a movie theater, if you step out and you miss two minutes in the movie and you come back and you step there at just the wrong point, you know how nothing makes sense? Yeah, you, 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 you're watching and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have had the supersized soda. I'll be right back. And you're running and you're running back in and you're, you sit back down and you're like, what? Who's that? You're trying to ask the person next to you. Who's that? And they're like, shh. No, no, what? 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 what, what? This is that text. So anybody who missed today or tunes out, 
the whole rest of the Bible is going to be non-understanding. I'm kidding. It's, but this is one of those texts where if you miss this, you miss so much of what's going on. Your Bible is divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. You ever notice that? The old is about two-thirds. The, the new is about one-third. Here's a real question that I, I asked early on in my walk with Christ. Why can't we just go to this, this first book, Matthew, and take that forward and get rid of the rest? Because if it's new, why do we still need the old one? Right? Or did God change his plan? Is God like, right, this was the old way I was doing it, but now i got a new way to do it that works out better because the old way wasn't working out so good. So, so remember the old stuff. You can learn some lessons from it, but, but we're on to the new. You ever like wonder why there's an Old Testament and a New Testament? I thought it was kind of like one grand plan of redemptive history. Shouldn't it just be a testament? Why is it called new? You see this text? Verse 20. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's dig in and see what we have before us, because this is an incredible text. I think they all are personally, but I've spent a lot of time with this one this week. Next week will be the most incredible text of Scripture, God willing, when we get there. And when the hour came, do you know what that means? It was sundown. The Passover meal begins at sundown. It had been prepared. Jesus has shown up. He reclined at table and the apostles with him. You ever see the Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper? And everybody's sitting at a long table. The thing is full of so much heresy, I don't even know what to tell you. First of all, they weren't sitting at a table. They were reclining. And, and I don't know how they ate. Because you like lay on an elbow with your feet far away from the table because you've walked through camel poop all day and nobody wants camel poop by the table, right? And I don't know how you eat that way, but they did. And so they were climbing around the table and he said to them, Jesus, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why does he strongly desire to eat this meal with them before he dies? He's going to twist this thing and transform it. God instituted Passover as a feast to go on and on and on and on. The only one who could change Passover or end that feast is God himself, and he does that here today. As most of you know, I was born and raised Jewish. And there's this weird thing in the, in the Christian subculture where there's a, I don't know, there's this weird attraction to Jewish people theologically. Like you're almost like a mini celebrity in the church because you're Jewish. And I've always been fascinated by this. I'm like, why? I think a lot of it comes in the American context. There's this feeling if you're nice to Jews, God likes you better. You know, so, so we're all in favor of supporting the Jews. It's a good idea biblically. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is totally off. That even today, the, the Jewish people have a particular place before God. Not all Jewish people by birth, but we'll, we'll get to that in the book of Revelation one day. 
But one of the things you run into is everybody gets excited about your Jewish heritage. Well, the hard part with that is all that stuff is a mixture of tradition outside of Scripture, or ceremonial law that points forward to the New Testament. And one of the ways I see this is, and I've been asked many times, can you do a Passover Seder for us? You know why that really kind of gives me angst on two levels? One, it's full of a lot of tradition outside of Scripture. I had Passover a lot of times growing up. There was a lot of stuff you really enjoyed. I'll give you two examples just to make sure I keep your attention. One, we had the matzah every year. The parents, would, the adults, would hide the matzah, and the kids would all go, look, whoever found the matzah got money. It was great fun. Number two, you left the door open for Elijah. You always left the door cracked. Well, we always had Passover at my Aunt Elsie and Uncle Harold's house, and they lived down a long driveway. People don't come to the doors. Well, one year, we're all sitting at the table, and you hear, and everyone got dead silent. Because we're like, no way. You know, it's kind of creepy, like when they were praying for, for Peter in prison, and he got out. You know, they were like, yeah, go get out. We're going to pray for him. So it's, so it's like, who's getting the door? So, of course, a kid had, was sent because we sacrifice our children for these things. It was an older couple. They were lost. It was dark out. They didn't know where we go. And we, they were two houses off. It wasn't Elijah. These are fun things, but leaving the door open for Elijah and hiding the matzah, I'm suspecting Jesus didn't do either. <laughs> the other issue is, I do it all the time, and no one seems to notice. You want to you see a Passover Seder? Gotcha. That's what we're doing. Well, the reality is I could find a middle ground, and I think the text does a good job for us. Let me set up what's going on, because it says here, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus ate the Passover meal every year of his life. Technically, probably not what he was one, because he didn't have the teeth, but you know what I'm saying. He kept God's law perfectly. So what would that be like? Well, I'll give you a brief overview. There's four cups of, of wine, watered down wine. For the, the four cups of thanksgiving, you eat throughout the meal. They each point to one time that God gave a promise to Moses of deliverance. You would sing the, the, the halal, Psalms 113 to 118, throughout the meal, split with each cup. You would have a lamb sacrifice that you would eat. You would have bitter herbs. You would have matzah. You, you would share, you would read the Haggadah. You would share the Passover story. Why is this night different from all other nights? Every Jewish kid knows that line because you fight every year to get to read it out of the Haggadah. And then the eldest male at the table would answer the question, almost like a catechism, if you will. And you're being reminded of the Passover story. And the meal closes with the fourth cup of Thanksgiving being consumed. And so what you see here is Jesus reminding his people, his disciples, of the deliverance of the Passover. A deliverance that came through the blood of a lamb painted on the doorpost. Deliverance through the provision of a sacrifice. The tenth plague, the death of the firstborn son. Where those who trusted in God's provision were spared from the death of the angel of death. They were delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt where they then would eat the manna that God would rain down upon them. And God instituted Passover so that his people would be reminded of his glory and power and deliverance and promise of something yet to come. 
So he says to them in verse 16, I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus will not partake in Passover again. Verse 19. Passover is over. That was it. That was the last supper. But it might be better called the first supper. Because he says in verse 19, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is like five sermons. We'll do it in five minutes, moving away through this one sermon. First notice, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He did not say, take this. He said, do this. This is something that the Lord intends to be repeated regularly in the worship of his church. He's instituting the sacrament of communion here. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice, though, it says, when he had given thanks. We're to do this with thanksgiving. This is a, a, a meal, which is a gift of God's grace. And now we'll get to the awkward part for many people. This is my body. Can I tell you a secret? That's not Jesus' literal body. Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, big words, right? The Roman Catholic Church holds that the, through some mystical practice of ringing a bell and opening a box, and I'm, I'm kind of jesting, but kind of not, that something happens to the elements and they become the literal body and blood of Christ. So you're, in essence, re-crucifying Christ every time you take communion. When Jesus says, I am divine, they didn't say to him, but you look like a person. Or when he says, I am the door, let me oil your hinges. He's not saying that he somehow dwells spiritually there like a Lutheran doctrine would. He's saying, this bread represents or symbolizes my body. It's bread, but it's designed to remind you of, represent, or symbolize something. Him, his body. Interestingly, bread is the basic staple of life. Is not Jesus the basic staple of spiritual life and true life? Is he not the bread of life? So he says to them, this is my body. This symbolizes my body, which is given for you. I read a great illustration, great story. I don't know if it's true or not. There's this man in the story, Civil War, just ended, he's kneeling by a grave. Someone walks by and says to him, is that your son's grave? He says, no. He says, I was a poor farmer in Illinois with a wife and seven kids, seven young kids. And I was conscripted into service like all able-bodied men. And a man in our little town 
knew the hardship it would bring to my family, and he went in my place. And he died, and this is where he's buried. He said, this man, he died for me. Jesus says, this is my body which is given for you. Jesus doesn't just die for our benefit. He doesn't just simply die to, to, to give us perks. He dies in our place. The death he died was ours to die. He took the wrath of God upon himself, which was supposed to be poured upon ourselves. He died for us. He gave his life for us, given for you. One of the reasons Jesus tells us to do this is because we're quick to forget. You ever visit with an old relative that we're all going to become one day who tells you the same story again and again? You ever know as a dad that you're getting old because you start telling your kids the same story? Oh, let me tell you about when I was in fifth grade. And they dutifully sit there because they have to. You know, that, that's not always a sign of losing your mind. There's something good and right about it because God has intended important things. I'm not saying the story about when I was in fifth grade. But good and important things to be put before us again and again and again and again and again because we're so quick to forget. Remember when, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan and God had them go back and get rocks out of the Jordan? They would establish memorials. They would establish Ebenezer's Deuteronomy. Teach your children when you rise up, when you sit down, when you walk by the way. Again and again. Keep telling them the story. The old, old story. Again and again and again. Maybe some days you come in and you're like, Pastor, I've heard this already. I know this already. Can we get to something more? No. Because we need to hear it again and again and again and again and again because we forget again and again and again that Jesus died in our place. That he gave his life for us. That this is his body which is given for you. Not in the matzah on the table, but in the resurrected Savior sitting at the right hand of God. Can I add something on to that? Don't say no. This isn't just about remembering them. 1 Corinthians 10.16, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In the Greek, that word participation is koinonia, which actually means fellowship. This is a fellowshipping with Jesus. You know that Christianese word that no one really understood what it means, but we use it so frequently, like we used to have fellowship hall downstairs. It's a family room now. Oh, and Lord, I were invited my first year in seminary to come over to these folks' house for some fellowship. And I said to Laura, what, what does that mean? And we went out, and next time we played some board games, we ate pizza, we laughed. There was an awkward moment where they played a piano and sang hymns. I didn't know any of them at the time, so you know, and you're like lip-syncing like you know. But we laughed, and, and I said, where, where was the fellowship part? Well, fellowship actually means like, almost like an intimate camaraderie of, of enjoyment of relationship. 
We're fellowshipping with Jesus as we fellowship with one another, as we remember. So it's not just about remembering, there's a spiritual fellowshipping, taking a participating taking place. And likewise, the cup. So they drank the four cups. But then he takes the cup after they had eaten the bread, and he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Hold up. What? 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 New? Did Jesus just, like, call an audible? Omaha! Omaha! Old Testament isn't working! Old Testament isn't working! Crucify! Crucify too! What's this talking about? Is this a brand new idea? No. The, the Old Testament is a bloody book. A bloody section of the book. You, know, you show up, first thing we're saying about Jesus bleeding. You read the Old Testament, there's blood everywhere. Blood, let, let me take you to Exodus 24 for a moment. Probably haven't memorized, but for the couple of you that don't have Exodus 24 memorized, you can flip there if you like. It said tongue-in-cheek. If anybody hasn't memorized, I'm betting 50 bucks you don't. Gosh, I'm hoping nobody has that memorized right now. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Hmm. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now I know you're thinking you'd be annoyed with Moses if he threw some blood on your fancy clothes. You're missing the point. If you go and buy a house, you know how you have to show up and sign something? Even, I guess, when you get married, you've got to sign your marriage license. Somehow it's not legit. You go to the bank and you're going to take out a loan, you, you sign something. Well, you ever seen God's signature? I have. You see, because when God makes an agreement, when God makes a covenant, God seals the covenant with blood. And the reason you've got so much blood flowing through the Old Testament is we're pointing to covenants. And God has established a covenant with his people. And so you see it here. Moses takes the blood and throws it on the altar to show that God offers forgiveness and these, that, that, that these people, he throws the blood on the people to show that they're the people who are part of the covenant. Not because they signed it, but because God made it with them. It's a one-way covenant. God made it. Now, some of these covenants were conditional-type covenants. But I'm not getting into the, 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 this forward discussion of the grand redemptive plan of history. What I want to work you to is blood's flowing because you need sacrifices 
to, to make people forgiven for atonement. The covenants are sealed with the blood being thrown all over. It's the bloodiest religion you've ever seen. And then Jesus all of a sudden has this cup and he says, this is my blood. Again, that's not Jesus' literal blood. My sister once slept at a friend's house and her name was Jen. I won't say her last name because she's probably listening and then will sue me for something. I'm kidding about that. But Jen was Roman Catholic. And so my sister on a Sunday morning was sleeping there because our Sabbath was on a Friday, so you're not intruding onto the Sunday, so she's sleeping at Jen's house. And somehow, unbeknownst to my parents, she went to Mass with them in the morning. And so she comes home and she goes, Body of blood! Body of blood! We have body of blood! And my mom's like, what are you talking about? She goes, Mom, it was a crazy thing. They were telling her there's the body and blood, and then they were eating the body and drinking the blood. And my mom was all out of her mind. She's like, did you do that? Did you take it? No, Mom, I'm not eating body and blood. And the whole day, it's still like engraved in my head, body and blood, body and blood. It was creepy. <laughs> That's not his blood. Not literally, but symbolically, it's his blood. Why? Well, because of this new covenant. But what new covenant are we talking about? Did God scrap the old plan, the bloody plan, and then go for a new plan, a nicer plan? Why was God so angry in the Old Testament and so kind in the New? I don't think you've read either because he's incredibly kind in the Old and incredibly scary in the New, too. God doesn't change. In fact, the bloodiest book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. Talk about that another time. There's a new covenant that God's talked about many, many times over many, many years. And if you want to find it, you can go to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 31. In fact, in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, it says, the, the Lord says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Every time you killed an animal, your sin wasn't atoned for. It pointed to one who would atone for your sin. That's why animals kept being killed all the time. There was no PETA back then, and there wouldn't be PETA. Because the reality is, if you're not shedding the blood of an animal pointing to the need for forgiveness, you've got a bigger problem on your hand than what that little sheep is feeling the moment he is sacrificed. But now, as they've just eaten the lamb that has been sacrificed at the temple to celebrate Passover, as they've partaken in the feast of Passover as God instituted it, Jesus says, this is the last time I will eat this meal. Because it's a new meal now. It's a new covenant we're going to be celebrating. The covenant of his blood. You understand what he's saying here? God isn't changing plans one bit. God is carrying out his plan perfectly. So you could flip all the way back to Genesis 3 and read about this, this serpent and this guy and someone's heel would be bitten and someone's head would be crushed. 
This is no new plan. It's just a new covenant whereby we are forgiven completely and totally by the finished work of Christ, which hadn't happened yet, but is going to happen tomorrow as we're going through the trajectory of Luke. Do you see what's going on? So imagine if you're there, what's going through your head? What? 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 You know what's going through their heads? This is, I'll tell you this to set you up for next week. I suspect this is what they understood. You know why I say that? Because their immediate response is not, praise God, the, the fulfillment of Jeremiah is upon us. We will be born anew. No, this is what they said. But who's going to be the greatest? I mean, watch that pivot next, next week that we get into. I mean, in fairness, Jesus does sort of say something, throw him off a little bit. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. What? For the Son of Man goes, notice what it says there, as it has been determined. So wait, is it the guy who's going to betray him, or did, did God? But I, would, I would recommend to you Romans 9. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Romans 9. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So, so I mean, we, we got an awkward table. We, got, we have God in flesh and 12 dudes with big issues, one bigger than the others. And then they're there, they're, so they're looking at, you know, imagine that if I told you here, somebody's been stealing that at an offering box. Right? And you're all looking around and you're like trying to check it out and you're like, hmm. Hmm. Who could it be? I think it's Jerry. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, they're doing the same thing. Who's gonna who's gonna betray him? And Peter's like, it ain't gonna be me. I wouldn't deny you know how not uh obviously it's not me. Maybe it's that guy that that apostle you love so much, maybe he don't love you so much, Mr. Johnny John. And you got Judas like slowly creeping out of the room. And they're missing the whole point. This is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying that Passover celebration, that the lamb that was slain and the doorposts that were painted and the angel of death that passed over you and the deliverance from slavery to Egypt and the provision in the wilderness. And, and, and remember all that? We remember we were, I am. That lamb you ate, I am. The, the slavery you were, that, 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 that pales in comparison to the slavery from which you have been freed in the new covenant by my blood. It is finished. Don't eat Passover anymore. Passover is done. It's been changed into the Lord's Supper. Not the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. So Jesus shed his blood to save us. He lived the very life we couldn't. He died the death we deserve so that we might be his. And so as we, we believe in him, and trust by faith. We drink in, if you will, all the benefits of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, and we do that as we feast upon he who is the living bread. We have before us what J.C. Ryle calls a visible sermon. That's what you got. 
a visible sentiment of remembrance and participation. I'm going to close here because we're going to take communion too. I know it's not the first of the month, but you know that's not a biblical mandate to take communion on the first of the month. You know how often you're supposed to take communion biblically? The frequency God establishes for us? Regularly as you gather together as his people. Isn't that interesting? We, we, we want black and white everything. You know why? Because then we could, we could argue our way out of it, but at least we know how to work our way out of it. You see how this thing started? Verse 15, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You see, I think we miss this. Who's Jesus talking to about earnestly desiring to eat this meal, if you will? If you're in Christ, he's talking to you. You see, it's so easy for Jesus to become like a Dickens character. You know, someone from a book that you know a lot about, but they're not really, really real. No, he's really, really real. He's, he's really, really attentive and present and powerful in God. He really, really participates with us, fellowships with us, as, as we do this in remembrance of him in one way. He's, he's advocating for us at the right hand of God. Now listen to me. Jesus desires to eat this meal with us. Now don't look at the door. He's not coming down, but he will return. And if you don't understand that Jesus died for you as much as he died for the eleven, that he did as much for you as he did for the eleven, that he delights in you as much as he did in the eleven, then you're missing the glory of the gospel that he has chosen you to be his and accomplished the work by his body and his blood. Jesus does this for us who are in him and he delights not in watching us take communion, but partaking of it with us in a way that we can't fully understand as by his spirit he strengthens us for his glory and our joy. So, is this really the Last Supper? I don't know, in my Bible it says institution of the Lord's Supper. I like that header better. It's certainly the last Passover, but it's the first true meal in the kingdom of God for the residents of that kingdom. So if you ask me if I would do a Seder for y'all sometime, now I can just tell you, go and listen to the recording, because this will work. You save all the preparation, you, you save the messy dishes, and, I, and I'm being a little bit silly and facetious. But understand, this is what the whole Seder was pointing to. When Jesus says on the cross to Telestai, it is finished, there's no more Passover. You know there, why, why there's no more temple? You don't need a temple. You know why there's no more priests? You don't need priests. You know why there's no more animal sacrifice? You don't need animal sacrifice. We have a great high priest who is the Passover lamb, who is the final sacrifice, who gave us peace with God. We are forgiven of our sin, and he's a propitiation, so he makes God favored towards us. God, who was turned away from us through Christ, now turns to us as our Father, through his blood, by the finished work of his life. 
Here's how I want to close today. I want to invite you all to come forward as we partake, participate, and remember in this great, good, kind God who has saved us, in the fellowship of his people, for the joy he sets before us for his glory. We're going to close with a reflective song up on the screen. Then we're going to praise the Lord for his goodness, kindness, mercy, and grace. I think it's the way it should be. So hopefully you don't drop dead today. But if you did, this would be a very appropriate last meal. In fact, properly done, biblically done, you have a concept of last rites. And, mm, what an evangelistic delight that would be. If, if you're visiting a person in, let's say, hospice, and they got a day left to live, and you say, can I get you something? You say, would you, would you, would you call some of the folks from the church? Would you have them bring a meal? Well, what, do you, what do you want? I want to take communion one last time before I go eat with him face to face. Do this in remembrance of me. It's costly to get up here and grab one of these. You can't come on your own credentials because you've got to be perfect. If you sin once, you're done. If you haven't loved the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, I'm sorry, but you're totally unworthy. But, if you understand how incredibly unworthy you are, if you understand what you deserve based on your own merits, but what you received by grace alone, through faith alone, and you come forward on the credentials of Christ himself, you know, people often say, and if you go to, if you go to the pearly gates and... and God says, why should I let you in? It ain't going to happen like that, but just bear with me a minute. Like God's standing there like, why do I like, what do you say? You know the most biblical answer? The most biblical answer is, you should not. Be totally unfair for you to let me in. Mm-mm. If you're not like you're going to be speaking to God, you're going to be stammering, stuttering, and wetting yourself is what you would do. But then you would, you would point to the guy on his right side. And through, uh, 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 which is all you get out, you go, uh, uh, uh. And you see the little smile on Jesus' face. And he says, Father, come on, quit messing with him. They're coming in because he's mine. And the Father goes, I know. You get a big old hug and your fellowship with God and his triune self. It's God's merits only that bring us in a worthy manner to the table. If you come on those credentials, what a marvelous time to remember in fellowship with one another and God himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. What a silly little word that doesn't do nearly enough for that. huh? Lord Jesus, the fact that you have even chosen to give us your word in scripture, what a kind act of grace that is beyond what we can comprehend. Lord, we so easily neglect your word. We're, we're too busy. We're too distractible. We got other more important things. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. For Lord, we ask by your spirit that your word would become to us sweeter than honey. That you would help us fight against the flesh and walk in the spirit and do the hard work at times of slowly feasting on and chewing upon your word. 
trusting that over time we would behold you through your word and be sanctified by that very word, equipped to know and do your will, in fact, able to keep our way pure as we guard it according to your word. Lord, help us to store up your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. And through your word today, Lord God, help us to more fully understand the joy you have in saving us and the way by which you saved us and the covenant we live in before you. Not a covenant that's conditioned upon anything we do, but the condition or terms of the covenant were perfect obedience and you did that in our place. You took the wrath we deserved upon yourself and placed your righteousness upon us so that when you look upon us, you see us not in our sin, but as if we lived the very life our Lord Jesus did. We are empowered by your spirit. We are given a new heart and a new power at work within us, the very spirit of God himself. Help us, Lord Jesus, to delight in that and to fight to have the joy of that as we die to self day by day and live for your glory and your power. And Lord, as we come forward to partake of the Lord's Supper, remind us afresh and anew of the incredible love you have for us and help us to love you in light of that as we rejoice and are reminded of the fact that by your body and by your blood we are made right before you as children of God. And Lord, encourage us and strengthen us spiritually as we do so with you, with us, for your glory. In your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to come down to center, return on the outside, and we'll close with a benediction.